chapter 5, we're going to be in verse 7, reading down to verse 11. Verse 7 says this, says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning. God, I just thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray that you speak to us through this text in a mighty way. Father God, I pray that you would just open our hearts and minds to your goodness. God, open our hearts and minds to your word this morning. Father God, let us see what it is you have for us. Father, we come in here with so many different struggles. God, we come in here with so many burdens, God, so many things, so many storms of life that we're walking through, so many trials and difficulties. Father, I pray this morning that you would remind us in the midst of all of that that you are a good God, that you're always working, that you are always moving us towards a point of greater and greater things. Father, let us see your truths in your text this morning. Father, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. So this morning, we'll continue in our study working from victory, going through the book of James as James is telling us and showing us the ways at which our faith is lived out, the way that our faith is visible, the way that our faith moves and is motivated in our life. And we've had this common phrase that our perspective determines our progress. And so every time that we've come to a topic, James's intention is to mold our perspective of that thing and then to motivate us beyond it, to help us see what it is that he has for us and what God is calling us to. You know, last week we talked about our, 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 our investments. We talked about what is valuable to us. We've talked about how much trust we put in the things that we have in our lives or the comforts of our, that we have in our life. And this morning, he kind of continues on this same thread of, uh, you know, a few weeks back, we talked about worry and anxiety and how God calls us to evaluate our focus and in the, in the intentions of our heart. And then last week, he talked about our riches, you know, the, the things that could potentially be what we put all of our hope in, the things that we could potentially put all our, uh, all our, our worth in that, you know, he told us, he said, you know, those things are, they, they could fade away. You know, those things are corroding. Those things are moth-eaten. And so he's trying to pull our focus to what is truly the most important things in our life. And so this morning's really no different. As he continues on this tread, as we've talked about worry, we've talked about anxiety, we've talked about what we see as value and what we've put our hope in. And this morning he talks about our patience in the midst of, of difficulties, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of, of, of different storms of life. You know, remember when we started this book, we said that James is writing to a group of people who are dispersed, as it says in most versions at the beginning of this book. It says he's writing to those who are part of the dispersion, those who have been uh, scattered, those who are divided, those who are, are just in a lot of different places and a lot of different areas struggling with their newfound faith, trying to figure out what exactly it is that God has for them in their life. And I believe most of us are navigating our 
our life in that same type of way. Whether we're a new Christian or we've been a Christian for a while, we're still kind of trying to figure things out. And what we'll see this morning, I think a lot of that is the point, and that, that where we're putting our trust and where we're putting our hope in this morning. And so if, uh, the, the, the idea that I want us to take away this morning, I don't have it for the screen, but I just want to communicate it to you as James tries to instruct us on our patience. This is what I want us to see, is that our patience is found in his promises. That our patience to navigate every single thing, big or little, in our life is found in his promises and understanding who he is and understanding what he's done, knowing what he has offered us and, and his nearness to us, that God is always imminent, that God is always near, and then allowing this to be the fuel for our Christian lives. You know, because the reality is, and we've kind of talked about this a little bit before, but the reality is patience is not a normal thing for us, right? We are not built for patience. Uh, our world is not built for patience, right? I mean, everything that we do, uh, everything that we have, we, we don't have to wait for. And if we have to wait for it, we complain about it, right? You know, and I was always thinking about patience this week. I, I just started to think about a lot of the entertainment things that we have these days that are so much different. And I'm starting to sound like my dad when I say, so, you know, somebody older than me, like, you're back in my day. You know, like when we talk about stuff, it just, you know, I, I just feel like I'm getting older and older. But, uh, you know, I know, right? But, you know, I started to think about our entertainment and the things that we used to do to be entertained. You know, our, our movies now, are they're streamed instantly. You know, I mean, we click on them. I mean, occasionally there may be a buffer if the Internet's moving slow, and we usually gripe and complain about that. Oh, my Internet's moving too slow. But, you know, back in the day, when, I, when we would uh, legally download movies off of the Internet, I mean, I, well, you'd have to wait 12 hours to get a movie. To, well, you'd have to leave it all night. And I'm, you, know, don't, you know, don't act like you never did that. But, uh, you know... And, uh, and even, even, even music, you know, even music, you know, now, you know, Spotify, every song that's ever come out and you just jump into it or Apple Music, whatever it is that you use, you know, well, me and, uh, me and Matt, we used to DJ and so we had, always, we had to have tons of music. And I mean, the only outlet, unless you just spent all the money on CDs, was to download them per Napster, if you ever use Napster, or LimeWire. And, and listen, it would take a good two hours to download a normal sized song and, you know, we would just wait it out. We would just wait it out, you know, and um, he, even, you know, thinking this week, even like our fast food, like have we realized that even our fast food has a fast food lane now, right? Like we have, you can order ahead, pull up, and they bring it out to you, and it's supposed to be faster than what I guess fast food is already supposed to be. Like we don't like to wait on anything, not even our fast food. You know, and so we're being built for that. We're being, being discipled and indo indoctrinated with this idea of not waiting on anything. And so when it comes to, to us in life, navigating life and navigating our situations, like we would say it's silly that, that you know, it's not the same thing or, or that, you know what, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a whole different ballgame. But in reality, we're, we're most deficient in our patience. And in so many ways, because we're being built for the speed, because we're being built for moving one thing, for moving from one thing to the next, or getting to experience what we think we need to experience now before we're ready for it or before it's time for it, you know, we're, we're being built for speed and, and our patience has become our greatest deficiency. You know, and, and with me being a nurse, my mind always goes to, to, to nursey things. And, uh, you know, as I started to think about deficiency, I believe, I truly believe that our deficiency in our patience is very similar to a, a deficiency that we could have in our lives of, of, of vitamin D. You know, if, you're, if you have a vitamin D deficiency, what that does is it, it can stunt your growth. 
It can, it can make your, your bones uh, weak. It can make, uh, you know, growth and endurance and development very, very difficult during this deficiency. And I really believe in all ways that because we are so deficient in our patience, it is hindering our growth as Christians. It is hindering our development as believers as we're navigating life because we're interacting with situations and we're coming against things that we're not ready for and that we don't want to experience or that we're not, we don't want to see happening in our lives. And then when we're facing those things, we're just so ready to be on the other side of them that those things are beginning to defeat us. Those things are beginning to press in on us and, and starve us of what God is maybe trying to do in the midst of those things. And you know what? The things that we'll talk about this morning, I, I don't take these things lightly because it is not easy to be patient in the midst of suffering. And I don't believe that's what James is communicating to us, that it's easy. But he's bringing us into this idea where we could see some things that we'll see this morning. Uh, and, and, and three things that we'll focus on and, you know, these ideas uh, to help us see how, how we're patient, how we navigate our lives in the midst of those difficulties and sufferings. And, and the first thing that I want us to see this morning is why we wait. Why are we waiting in our lives? Why do we need to wait as we navigate the struggles and the difficulties of our life? And he begins in verse 7. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, so that you so be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. You know, and so he's telling us, he's, he's bringing us to this idea of patience. And he communicates until the coming of the Lord. You know, they live, the Bible is written always with this idea of, of uh, that is imminent until the Lord comes. They, they constantly wrote it as if it, tomorrow was the day. You know, this expectation of the Lord. And you know what? In the Bible, it's not only written with this expectation of the coming of the Lord again, but it's written with this expectation that God is near to me now. That God is right in the midst of us at this moment. You know, all that we've even sung about today, that you're here. You know, we believe that as Christians. We believe that God is imminently present with us, present and acting and working in our midst this morning. And so when James is speaking of this, he's telling, be patient until the coming of the Lord. He's speaking of that very imminence. He's speaking that the Lord is right here, that the Lord is present. And so why are we waiting? And while, as we'll move, you'll kind of see this play out. And we've talked about this a little bit, but there is a closeness of the Lord. There is a closeness of the Lord in our lives and in the midst of our struggles and our situations. And the reason that we are waiting is because we are functioning like we talked about a couple weeks ago in this idea, in this space of already, but not yet. Remember we said that the already that has happened for Christians is that we are we have a place at God's table that we are sealed in His love and in His presence and nothing can take us away from His love and nothing can take us away from the eternal hope that lies before us. But there is a not yet that is playing itself out in our lives where we are actively being molded into the image of God by every experience, by every situation that happens to us, by everything that is coming into our life and that is being shown to us and revealed to us in every moment as a Christian. And so what James is speaking to is he's saying that we are waiting because we are still in process, because we are still being worked on, because God is still taking who we are and he's molding that into the image of his son Jesus. Jesus being, Jesus being
being the perfect example that, that we will not accomplish in this, in this life until we are standing glorified next to Jesus in heaven. But he's telling us that he is giving us this time because he is doing something with us. Titus 2.13 says that we are waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Speaking of that imminent, that it imminence, that it is close, that he is here, and that because he is close, he is actively working on me. He is actively doing something. And it's because of this closeness, just to kind of carry us into this next portion, that it's because we understand this idea of Jesus' coming again, this idea of his nearness, this idea of his closeness, this is what comforts us, right? You know, for, for you guys with children, you know, when you think about it in this way, you know, I, I, and I know maybe this has happened to you before where you're sitting in another room and, and all of a sudden you hear this distant whimper or you hear this distant cry or you hear this, this distant voice, daddy, daddy, or mama, mama, you know, you immediately jump up and you run to them to see what's going on, right? Because you never know. But my kids, they cry the same whether they stub their toe or if they had a broken arm. So you never really know what's going on. You just got to get there and kind of evaluate it. Uh, uh, either a head's been broken off or somebody's just mad at somebody. I don't know. But, you know, as a parent, you know, that's just our nature. We just get up and we go. And, you know, there, there's a different comfort that comes. That, that sound is different depending on the nearness of the parents, right? Because when they know we're here, when they know we're close, we're in the other room, they're going to cry out for us. You know, they're going to they're make a noise for us. You know, Daddy, Mama, they're going to call out because they know we're near. If they knew we weren't near, that panic would be a lot more, right? Because they would know. I'm all alone. They'd be, they'd, be, they'd be upset. They'd be just broken. They'd be crying out. But because there is a closeness, there is a comfort there. And so what James is telling us, Jesus is close to you. And so with that, there should be a comfort that as we cry out, Abba, Father, which that word Abba, Father, meaning my Father, this very, this very uh, this ownership of who God and, and, and is for me and who Jesus Christ is being to me, that he is my Father, that he is my Dad. And so, you know, Jesus knew as we're kind of navigating this and as we know that we are waiting because God is growing us, he is molding us, and that he is near to us in that process, Jesus knew what he was buying when he hung on the cross for us. Church, he knew what he was buying on the cross, broken, imperfect people, that his work would continue on until the day that we stand in God's presence. He knew that. And so we wait for that to happen in the midst of God's closeness to us. And then he begins to move on and he gives us an example of, of why we wait, why the waiting is important. The second half of verse 7, he says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit. You know, the waiting is for nothing. I'm sorry, the waiting is not for nothing. That's another message. The waiting is not for nothing. The fruit is not always immediate. It is prepared, it is cultivated, it is tended to. And so he uses this example of a farmer who I haven't farmed, and maybe some of you who have, who have grown vegetables and fruit and those type of things, you understand and realize the patience that it takes to see those things come to fruition, to see those things come to be, and to see those things be uh, able to be used and utilized. And so he's using this illustration of, of a farmer to reveal to us the patience that it takes. But what we 
have to understand is that we know that a far, farming and, and growing these vegetables and growing fruit and developing land, whatever it is, that, that once the seed is planted and once it is prepared, that the work doesn't stop, that there is still work to be done, that there is still more to be done. You know, he's in what the farmer does is he leans into the labor. He leans into it because he sees the biggest thing is that word precious fruit because he sees the value in what's to come. He sees the value in what time will tell for what he's developing. He sees the value in that. You know, Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You know, and it's in this preciousness of the fruit that is invisible now, but he sees it in expectation. And in this expectation, it gives him endurance and it gives him faithful courage to continue on. So he's waiting because he knows the fruit is being developed, because he knows that this fruit is precious, because this fruit is worth the time, because this fruit is worth all the uncertainty that lies ahead, because ultimately the farmer doesn't know what's going to happen. The farmer can prepare it, the farmer can plant it, the farmer can work it, but there's a lot of different elements that goes into how the fruit is grown. But there's not a doubt here, as we'll see, moving on, of the fruit coming. And he continues on in verse 7, the rest of verse 7. He says, The farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. The reality is, is that for them, the fruit was dependent on the rain. And the farmer could not control the rain, But he waited in confidence with expectation that the rain was coming. That the farmer was confident that everything that he needed to develop this fruit, to grow this fruit, to be able to take part in eating and being nourished by this fruit was coming. You know, and I love that it uses these two different types of rain because they are significant. He says that there is, receives the the wait until he receives the early rain. And so this early rain is a type of rain that would come in fall, between October, November, something like that. You know, obviously it would rain at other times, but this specific rain was needed. And what this rain would do is this rain would soften the ground. This rain would soften the ground to prepare for the plowing to happen, to begin to to plant the seed. But then he would have to wait on a later rain. And this later rain would take place in the spring. And this rain was essential for maturing the crops shortly before harvesting. You know, and so he was dependent on this rain at specific times for specific reasons to develop the land, to develop the ground, to develop the fruit through its time. To grow it to the point. You know, and I just imagine that these rains being heavy, these rains being light, you know, sprinklings or showers or storms, you know, all of these rains that would come, they would all provide the preparation and progression needed for the best fruit. Church, and as I was praying and looking through that, God just was just so clearly showing me something in my own life that I needed to be reminded of is that God is working in every rain. That God is working in every rain. You know, because the reality is that there are many storms in our lives. There are many things that come sweeping through our life and just 
pour out on top of us and that can, can smother us, that can just cover us and can just, uh, just keep us from being able to walk in the way that we feel like we need to go and we need to be. But what James is telling us here is he says that there is no rain that is wasted and that every rain is, is, a, is a work of the Lord either preparing us for something or progressing us towards something. That all the rains that are coming, he says, these, these early rains, these later rains, that they are all there to contribute to the growth and the development of the fruit. Church, James is telling us this morning that every situation that comes into our life is either the early rain that is preparing the ground to plant the seed that we need to grow or it's the progressive rain that is maturing us into the people that God is calling us to be. That God is using every situation, that every rain, heavy or light, sprinkle or shower, He's using those situations to grow us. He is using those. You know, and it's hard to imagine that in the moment. It's hard to, to, to see that before the fruit begins to reveal itself. It's very easy to become hopeless in those situations. You know, as we navigate the difficulties, whatever things may be going on in your life, as you think about it, you know, all of us have some type of stressors. All of us have some type of things that we face day to day, week to week, month to month, whatever it may be. You know, what James is communicating here is he's telling us is that every difficult situation is a rain given either for preparation or progression. And that God is actively using those things to mature us as believers, to mature us in our faith. I mean, mature us even maybe in the, the, the fruits of the Spirit as God has revealed those things, as He's trying to develop within us love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Like He's trying to work these things out within us, trying to, to grow us to be these people. And is it easy? Absolutely not. Because in the face of our hardest rains, it seems hopeless. You know, a, a lot of times in life, maybe we're even navigating some of those rains where you've been in your car and you have to pull over. It's just, it's just so heavy. You can't see what's ahead of you. You can't see what's right in front of you. And we're afraid. You know, maybe some of us are navigating those type of rains right now. But to understand that in the midst of even those type of rains, God is using those things for our growth. Or he's preparing us for something that he's trying to do with us as Christians this morning. So not only do we understand why we wait, but we need to understand what we do while we wait. That there is a work to be done while we wait. As God is working on our lives, as God is using the earlier, the later rains in our life to either prepare us or to progress us in our life, that he's doing something for us. And in verse 8, he tells us exactly what we should be doing. He says in the first part of verse 8, he says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. The farmer doesn't just wait for the rain. There is work to be done in the waiting. Psalm 126.6, he says, He goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves, 
bringing his sheaves with him. Jeremiah 4.3, it says, For thus says the Lord uh, to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up, the, break up your fallow ground, and, and sow not among the thorns. There is a work to be done even in the struggle. And he continues in Luke 12.43, says, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. And so what is that work? He says, establish your hearts. You know, and this isn't a work we only do in the midst, but this is a work that we do before. And this word, this phrase, establish your hearts, gives this idea of a firm courage, of a commitment, of hearts rooted deep, you know, to stand. And, you know, and, and the deeper the roots, the better we stand the storms and the waters that come rushing by. Because if the, the roots are shallow, then the strongest storms can move us, can, can wash us away. And so he calls us as Christians that we need to be, while we're waiting for the fruit of our lives to develop, he says, to establish your hearts, to dig deep, to, to pour yourself. And so what is he calling us to establish our hearts in? He's calling us to establish our hearts into our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Pour ourselves into a word, allowing God's word to be the shovel that digs the holes where we plant ourselves in to withstand the difficulties that come against us, to withstand the struggles and the suffering that may stand in our way. And so not only does he tell us to establish our hearts as we dig deep into his word. And we use that through uh, the fellowship of our faith family. We do that in our personal devotion time in God's word as we grow and we learn and we know who he is, that that puts us deeper into his love, puts us deeper into that place where those things just shake us up a little less than maybe they used to. You know, that those things bother us a little less than maybe they used to. You know, that we find this strength only through establishing our hearts, affirming our hearts, committing our hearts deeply into him. But he doesn't only tell us that, not only to establish our hearts, but in verse 9, he says this also that we should do while we wait. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers. You know, one of the hardest things that we have, you know, and, and, and I even see this play out in my own life. Say, you know, maybe you've experienced this. You have a bad day at work. You come home and, and everybody pays for it, right? You know, and it's kind of this idea that James is speaking to us here. He's saying, look, don't allow your situations to affect the way you are with others. Don't allow your difficulties. Don't allow the suffering that you may be experiencing right now. He says, don't allow that. Don't use that as a reason to push others away. Don't use that as a reason to be at odds with others. Because in reality, that's how a lot of times we see our lives play out, right? When we have difficult situations that we're walking through or we're in some type of struggle or suffering or we're having difficulties navigating something, we always tend to lash those things out at the other people around us. If we're married, sometimes it's our spouses. If, if, we're, if it's something to do at work, it's our coworkers or it's our friends or it's the people around us. You know, we're just lashing out or we're pushing ourselves into isolation. We're just shoving people away from us because of these difficulties. And so James is telling us, do not grumble against one another. He says, do not use these things that are going on as an excuse to push people away. He says, because... When you are in the midst of suffering, when you're in the midst of hardships, when you need to be patient, that is the time that we need other people the most. But for a lot of us, that's the time we push people the furthest away is whenever we're struggling. And I think a lot of it is because we're afraid to allow people to see us suffering. 
We're afraid to allow people to see us vulnerable. We're afraid to allow people to see us navigating a difficult time because we believe, and and unfortunately the church has maybe pushed this into our minds at times, but we are told and sometimes even indoctrinated with this idea that my life is always together and I have everything figured out. And I'm not suffering. I'm not enduring. I'm not having any difficulties. My life is perfectly great. I don't have anything to be patient about. But the reality is, if we're honest with ourselves, every single one of us in here have something that we've come into that is coming to our minds that we are, we are thinking to ourselves, how can I be patient in this? You know, as we're talking about patience, we're thinking to ourselves, we're already defeated. We're saying there's no way I can endure this. There's no way I can be patient with this. There's no way that I can navigate this. And so with that, we're allowing that to become us. And in the midst of our struggles, we're pushing others away. You know, blaming others. Or, or, or saying that we don't need others. You know, and, and a lot of times blaming others is our natural response. And we see that even in the beginning in Genesis 11 and through 13. Whenever Adam and Eve would blame each other for their sin. Well, it was, it was her. Oh, it was that serpent. Oh, it was this. It was that. We're constantly wanting to push it away rather than. Rather than if it's in the midst, if we're suffering or hurting because of some type of sin we've committed, acknowledging it taking ownership of it, and beginning to be patient as the Lord uses that circumstance to mold and to make our lives. And the last thing this morning that we have to understand is how we wait. How we wait in the midst of those things. In verse 10, it says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. You know, James begins to give example, uh, kind of a generalized example of those who were obedient to the Lord but still suffered. They were doing the Lord's work. They were chosen by God to do what God needed them to do in the Old Testament. And they constantly fell to suffering. Most of the time they constantly fell to suffering amongst the very people that they were coming to help. You know, specifically, I think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was thrown into a ditch by his own people whom he was speaking to God for and speaking to them on behalf of God, trying to encourage them, trying to direct them and lead them. And so, you know, there were people like that, like Jeremiah and Elijah and and, and even Moses and all these people who would have experienced difficult situations even in the midst of following exactly what God had for them to do. You know, at the hands of other people or other sins, they were suffering. And he's calling us, he says, understand that these men had patience in the midst of their suffering. That they endured in the midst of their suffering. He's trying to bring us to understand this example so that we can make it, so that we can endure. And we can understand, you know, I heard this week somebody say, hey, if I've heard of someone else doing something, I feel like it gives me more confidence that I can do it. And so he's kind of speaking that. He's saying, hey, look, these normal, sinful people, just like you and me, navigating life and godliness the same way that we are, they made it. They endured it. They, they, they faced more suffering than most of us will ever experience in our life, and they made it. And God blessed them for it. This is not unattainable. And he continues on, and he tells us, you know, and, and I love this idea, that we must never think that obedience automatically produces ease and pleasure in life. You know, Jesus being a prime example, Jesus was obedient to God, and it led him to the cross. But we can know this, and I love this quote, that the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. Wherever God has allowed us to be, or led us to be, that 
it, he has taken it upon himself to help us navigate it. That he will help us to move through it. That he will help us to grow from it. And that there is not a moment that is wasted. And so not only does he use the prophets in their suffering, but then he continues on and he gives us another one. He says in verse 11, he says, Behold, we consider those, who, uh, those blessed who remain steadfast. He says, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And so he begins to point us to this guy in the Bible. In the early part of the Bible, a lot of, a lot of scholars believe that the book of Job was one of the first books written, uh, that, that it was in the timeline of things that happened. It's one of the earlier events that happened in the Bible. And so he tells us that, that, that he brings us to this idea of Job. And so maybe you're familiar with Job and maybe you're not, but Job being a righteous man, uh, Job being a man that, that was just good and that was good to people and that was very successful and that had not done, I mean, obviously he was a sinner who had failed at points in his life, but he was pursuing the Lord passionately and that he was doing good things. And so in the midst of that, you know, and I'll just kind of read a little bit from Job, but, uh, but as uh, we, we see this scene unfold, we see the enemy, we see the accuser, as he would be called, uh, come to the Lord. And it says, uh, you know, he says that the Lord asked him, where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and from on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, blameless and an upright man who fears God and turns away evil? You know, and, and as you've maybe read through, or if you have time, you can go back through the book of Job. The book of Job is not a cheery book. No, but James is using the book of Job to be an encouragement to us. Because with Job, Job was doing the right things. He was seeking God, a God-fearing man, but still there was more for him to grow in. And that in that passage, you know, the enemy wasn't even considering Job. And, and who, who, who put Job's name out there? It was the Lord. Right? The Lord said, what about Job? Try him. You know? and, and the enemy said, well, well God, he, he's, never, he's never faced any hardships. He's never dealt with any struggles. He's never had to suffer any. So of course he worships you. Of course he loves you. And so what does God tell him? He says, look, test him. Test him. But it, under God's parameters... You know, I love that, that even in the work of the enemy, the enemy doesn't work without God's permission because that's how big our God is, that there's nothing that even the enemy can do that falls outside of God's control. And that should give us as Christians confidence. And, and I believe with all my heart that that's what gave Job confidence, that even if suffering came upon him, and, and suffering did, he would lose everything that would have deemed him as wealthy in his life. He lost all his, all, his, all his goods, all his livestock. He lost all his, his workers. Job would even lose his children. And how does Job respond in the midst of that? Because Job had been establishing his heart. And even in the midst of it, continuing to establish. Job 120 and verse 22 says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground. Job was in distress, but in the midst of his distress, it says, And he worshipped God. Job 13, 15 Job says this, though you slay me, speaking to God, though you slay me, I hope in him. Though God, you've allowed this to happen to me. I will praise you. I will hope in you. And Job 23.10, and Job understood. 
Job understood the early and the late rains. Job understood that there is nothing that is happening, that God is working in every rain, that there is nothing that is happening outside of what he's allowing to happen. Job 23.10, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, he says, I shall come out as gold. Job, Job knew what was working, that God was working something out. He didn't understand it. He couldn't see the fruit that was growing. He couldn't see the, 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 the fruit that was developing in his life. And we would know at the end of that story that God would bless Job two times what he had and would just give him so much. But God knew and Job understood that the fruit that he had was not just the double portion of life that God had given him physically, but it was the spiritual growth and development of understanding of God's provision, of understanding God's goodness, of understanding God's love and compassion in the midst of suffering that that there is not a single moment when my suffering has taken me further than the reach of God in my life. And I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon, and we'll wrap up. He says, If a man were to attack me with a knife, I would resist him with all my strength and count it a tragedy if he succeeded. Yet, if a surgeon comes to me with a knife, I welcome both him and the knife. Let him cut me open even wider than the knife attacker, because I know his purpose is good and necessary. Church, God is that surgeon that approaches us, potentially to cut us sometimes, but his purpose is good. To remove something from us, to mold us, to, 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 to do a work within us that we desperately need to grow and to develop. And so for us to just be reminded and remember that our patience is built on his promises. That God's intentions are for good for us. That he wants to work all things. You know, and, and, and when we read verses and we say verses, and sometimes we fail as Christians in the midst of people suffering to tell them things like, well, God is going to work all things to good. Or, or, or God has a purpose in everything. Listen, I'm never going to tell you that in the midst of somebody's suffering, you should lean into the lies and tell them that God has a purpose in that. Because in the midst of the suffering, you know what they're thinking? If this is God's purpose, then I don't want it. But as Christians, as we lean into people's lives, we come in with that confidence that even when other Christians are struggling, if they're, they're having trouble grasping that thought process, that we as Christians come in, that we mourn as people mourn, you know, weep as people weep, that we, we bear their burdens with them. But in our encouragement, constantly just leaning in with this hope and this understanding that God is working this to good, even if we're not telling them that. Because you know what, that's not always the best thing to say in the midst of someone suffering, but we need, we need to be pouring that love into their lives with that understanding on our own. Because we know this, and this will be where we end at, at the end of verse 11. He says, this is how we wait, is understanding this. That you have seen the purpose of the Lord, and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Compassion being his love and his concern for his people, and his mercy being his forgiveness of our faults and his intentions for relief from our pains. He says, understanding that God does have purpose in everything. There is nothing that happens outside of God's ordinance or, or, or ordination or God's understanding or God's knowledge or God's hand saying that that's okay. Nothing surprises God. And I choose to live and to teach in that way that we serve a sovereign God that knows from beginning to end 
and that there is nothing that works outside of his hand, and that I can have confidence that it doesn't matter what comes against me, that God's allowed that to happen or he's ordained that to happen for my good and for my growth. And for us to understand this, and then we'll leave it, that there is no wilderness that he hasn't walked, and then there's no war that he hasn't won on our behalf. Church, when we have put our confidence and our trust in him.